0: Great to have you in church today. My name's Ruth. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I look after pastoral care in this place and part of that is uh, looking after groups and connecting people into groups. So we've just done uh, last week and this week a two-part series on the importance of group life and creating community. So if you were here last week, um, we talked about the value of living in community and how God created us for relationships with him and with each other. Uh, And we talked about how Jesus invested um, three years of his life to a group of 12 disciples who, when he uh, left this earth, they would continue the work that uh, he had trained them to do. And we said that life done in groups brings life change because connection is better in circles than it is in rows. And uh, circles allows three things to happen. We talked about uh, when you're in a group, you have accountability. Uh, When you're in a group, you can hold um, each other accountable for our faith journeys. Uh, In a group, we find uh, belonging. Um, So that if you don't show up, you're actually missed when you're in a a small group. And groups also allow for care. If you need something, then there's someone there to help provide you what you actually need. And we talked about uh, groups recognise... We recognise that in groups, uh, you grow spiritually when you're connected relationally to each other. So today, I want to take you through... um, What life groups look like here at LBC and what some of our strategy around life groups because the purpose of groups is actually to grow our faith. So how do we do that here? And uh, what we also said last year is that Jesus didn't spend time teaching his disciples so that they could know more. Um, He taught them so that they could do more uh, and help build his kingdom. So if you're new to LBC or you're new to faith or you're just checking out what it means to follow Jesus, then today's probably a, a peek behind the scenes as to the kind of uh, community we are and um, what people are part of. And uh, what we'll be talking about will give you a bit of an inside scoop why so many care people here care about creating spaces um, to discover Jesus and to follow Jesus. So... Uh, feel free to sit back and listen and um, we're open to asking, um, answering any questions you have so please feel free to to come and do that. So 20 years ago, we turned up here at LBC looking for a new church and I remember we came through those doors there um, with a five-year-old, a three-year-old and a six-week-old baby. Um, And... um, we, we came in and we counted nine prams on the back row and we thought we had died and gone to church heaven because we'd come from a church which was quite small um, and we were looking for community and we were looking for friendship for ourselves and we were looking for friendship um, for our, our kids. And we found our home here at LBC and some of those people are still here today and we've had some of our dearest friendships with some of those people. What was really funny about that first visit, I'll never forget it, Um, the first person I think I met, and it was in the Pebbles room when we were dropping our kids off, was uh, Sue Waller. And she was very good at... um creating and bringing people into community and um, she said to us, oh, next week a group of families are going to go to Maccas for lunch. Do you want to come? And we went, oh, that sounds great. Yeah, sure, we're in. So, of course, the following week we came back and we didn't realise, I think, until quite some time after that they'd actually forgotten that they'd asked us... To lunch and they were going to Mackers, but they must have rallied the troops when we came back and asked about it. We kind of said, so what time are you going to, to Maccas? Um, so they rallied the troops and, and they got lots of families there and that's how we, um, we, we started to make relationships with people and it happened because people chose to invite and invest in us even in those really um, early stages and we came. Because we liked what was happening in rows, but we stayed because we found connection in a circle. And so while that initial connection was a casual social connection, we soon realised we couldn't stay new forever on the back row, that there came a point in time where we had to engage um, in a group, and we heard the church talk, talking about life groups, and so we started to ask around, and at the time, I remember there was a group that had parent, two groups that were parents' kind of groups. One having their first baby, and one group that was on second and third babies, and so we joined the second and third babies um, our life group. And we've been in a life group ever since. Um, we've been through a few groups and a few group changes, and sometimes it's been regular inten- and intentional, sometimes it's been sporadic, sometimes we've been leaders of groups, and sometimes just participants. But basically, we've always been part of a group of a roundabout 12 adults, uh, not including kids. We've had a season where I think it was 19 adults and 17 kids, and Josh is in something like, I don't know, 10 adults and 30 kids or something like that. <laughs> like that. But, any, but regardless, a small group of people that meet together regularly and do life together. And I know that many of you have experienced that and are still connected in deep friendships with some people that you've spent um, decades with. So you've experienced that kind of community that I'm talking about. And part of our heart for everyone who wants to be is to help you find a group and a community, a smaller group that you can belong to. Um, But to do that, we need to have a strategy because groups don't just happen, they need some intentionality and they need some organization. And one of the earliest examples of a group strategy is way back in the beginning of the Bible in in Exodus. So just to give you a little bit of context about what I'm going to read to you. So in the Bible narrative, we've got a group of people called the Israelites. And they're they're more than a group of people. They're not a group of 12 people. They're an ethnic community, actually. And the Bible records them as having approximately, at this point that I'm going to read, there's about 600,000 of them. And then you've got to add, that's men, so then you've got to add women and children onto that. So we're talking about an ethnic group of at least two million people, and they're enslaved in Egypt. So they live in Egypt, but they're slaves to the Egyptian people. And then we have um, Moses, who's uh, a man, and he's instructed by God to go and approach the Pharaoh in Egypt and plead uh, a case for them so that they can be uh, freed from Egyptian rule. And then God wants to take this group of people and create a nation out out of um, them. But of course, it's not without a fight. And you can read that epic drama in the beginning of Exodus and it involves um, pleading and petitions and God sends plagues to finally cause the Egyptians to give up the fight and release this um, group of people. So now we've got Moses and he's in the desert and he's managing two million people. And keep in mind that they're now displaced So Egypt and slavery was hard and they didn't want to be there, but it was all they knew. So now they've left something familiar for a promise of new life. And Moses' job is to keep the peace amongst two million people. So let's just read what it says in Exodus 18. And the next day, Moses took his place to judge the people. People were standing before him all day long from morning to night. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What's going on here? Why are you doing all this and all by yourself, letting everyone line up before you from morning to night? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me with questions about God, and when something comes up, they come to me. I judge between man and his neighbour, and I teach them God's laws and instructions. And Moses' father-in-law said, This is no way to go about it. You'll burn out and the people ride along with you. This is way too much for you. You can't do this all alone. Now listen to me. Let me tell you how to do this so that God will be, will be in this with you. Be there for the peop- so be there for the people before God and let the matters of concern be presented to God. Your job is to teach them the rules and instructions, to show them how to live and what to do. And then you need to keep a sharp eye for competent men, men who fear God, men of integrity, people who are incorruptible, and appoint them as leaders over groups organized by the thousand, by the hundred, by the fifty, and by the ten. And they'll be responsible for the everyday work of judging among the people. And they'll bring the hard cases to you, but the routine cases, they'll be judges. They will share your load and that will make it easier for you. If you handle the work this way, you'll have strength to carry out whatever God commands. And I love this last little line. And the people in their settings will flourish also. So Moses listened to the counsel of his father-in-law and did everything he said. So that was wise words for that first organisational leadership consult. I don't know why Moses didn't think of that himself, but it obviously took somebody a bit older and wiser to um, instruct him. Select capable people, train them, empower them, focus your efforts through them, and life will become easier and more effective for you and for them. And Moses was spending so much time and energy hearing people's complaints Um, that he couldn't get on with the other important work. And delegation relieved Moses' stress and improved the quality of government. And it also set them up for a system of government when they became a new nation um, of their own. So proper delegation can multiply our effectiveness while giving others a chance to grow. And that's why we've got groups. Groups fulfill a a vital role in organizations. Um, But there's also lots of other reasons why they're important in the life of the church. And there's there's four things, I guess, I want to highlight this morning um, that's worth thinking about uh, when it comes to the value of groups. So number one, groups are a place to invest and invite people into Christian community. Some unchurched people might not feel comfortable about um, being part of a church service like this, but they'd be very comfortable in visiting a group. And groups provide an opportunity for you to invest and invite others to come and sit alongside you and experience um, this journey of faith. Some people want to belong before they believe. They want to get a taste of what Christian faith is all about before they're willing to jump in. And groups offer us a place to invest and invite others. Groups also decentralise our leadership and care. So groups allow us to share leadership and care responsibilities with people who are meaningfully connected to others. So people naturally care best when they're cared for by those who know them best. and uh, and those who are willing to walk through life with others. It gives us many shepherds in our community rather than just a few. And we know, and I know in my role, that so much more gets done in that pastoral care space that never gets up to pastoral level because you guys do such a good job in caring for each other. And it works so much like the model that Moses was advised to adopt. The really complex things might escalate um, up to us or it might come from people that are not connected in, in a group but the rest of it just happens in community. Um, some of it we never even kind of hear about and that's how it should be because we're, we're a body and we all um, play a part and the reality is that as pastors and there's three of us, I guess, in that formal position, our arms are only so long. It's impossible for us to care for our community, which we estimate is around about 350 people. So, yes, it's 150 perhaps here on a Sunday morning, but it's so much broader than that if you take um, into account the people that are online, the people that are joining groups um, during the week. We, We can't stretch to care for that many unless we have groups of people caring for each other. So groups centralise, decentralise leadership and care. And groups enable more people to serve. So uh, we involve more people in in leadership and it it enables us to utilise our broader spiritual gifts. So it's the motivational gifts and the special gifts that Jared talked about a few weeks ago. Just think about a group that you might be part of. Some of you might lead the content, some of you will organise the group, some of you are good at hospitality, some of you are good at mercy and care, supplying meals and visiting people, Uh, some have pastoral gifts, some have shepherding gifts. Um, Groups are a place where you get to serve and be part of community. So I'd encourage you, if you're in a group, maybe as a life group, go through the Spiritual Gifts Questionnaire or the Motivational Gifts Questionnaire and champion each other's gifts and find places to use your gifts. So groups enable people um, to serve. And then finally, groups help develop authentic community. Small groups are more effective places for people to experience authentic community. Meeting in a home environment over a meal or going out for coffee or going out together is perhaps more, a more personal gathering than in a, in a church building. And the size of a life group means people don't slip through the cracks easily and they don't go unnoticed um, when they're missed. So groups for developing authentic community. So what does a life group actually look like if you haven't been in a life group or you're new to the idea of a life group? So a life group here at LBC is usually a group of about 12 people, like we said, who meet together on a regular basis, um, usually in someone's home. Um, Some groups meet weekly, some groups meet fortnightly. Basically, the groups do these four things, and I know our groups do these four things because I have visited all our groups, and I'm so encouraged that that this is actually what our groups are doing. And, and they all do it. They have a different flavour, and they might do it a little bit differently, but basically, they do these four things. They meet together, and they will study the Bible together. So a life group is an opportunity where you get a place of teaching, of learning together and growing in your faith and um, and an opportunity to pray for each other and to pray for needs um, and to pray for others. So groups will gather around the Bible. Groups will also gather around care. So there's the opportunity to give and receive um, care. Sometimes that care, obviously, is to each other in the group if people are going through hard times. But quite often, we will email out the life groups and go, we've got somebody in crisis or somebody in need or somebody that needs help. Can a life group um, help with that? And sure enough, there are groups with trailers and muscles and all sorts of things, and you get the opportunity to serve as a group, to care for other people in our community. And uh, groups gather around, uh, uh, like so like I've just said, to serve. So a, a place to serve each other, a place to serve the community. It's a place where you can um, be involved. And what I love is the um, the different ways groups also include kids in that. So some groups meet um, without the kids. We had a season where our life group would drop our kids at youth group and then the adults would meet on a Friday night. But we would also gather with The kids and do stuff um, with the kids, including serving. Um, And then of course, groups are a place to be social and a place of connection. Um, Our life group yesterday didn't meet Friday night, we were all busy, but somebody said how about we go to the dog park in Hartfield Park and take our dogs and go for a walk and get a coffee. And it was great, it was beautiful, sunshine outside, just um, casually socialising together. It was just what we needed, just to stay connected. Um, So like I said, each group does it differently, but all groups do um, these four things. And we currently have about 100 people in life groups, plus 36 kids associated with those um, life groups. So that's that's awesome. That's a big chunk of our community that's doing um, life in in groups. And we're happy to start more. So if you're not in a group and you want to be part of a group, we're going to give you some ways to, to do that. So, let me just say something about the life cycle of groups. All groups have a life cycle. Groups start and groups end, and groups also wane if we don't do something intentionally with them, sometimes. If you're in a great group, you never want that to end. But if you're in a marginal group, you can't wait for it to end, right? (laughs) And sometimes, you might be in a position where you're wondering, how the heck do I get out of this group? I'm no longer, <laughs> I'll just say, I'll just put it out there, it might not be true, um, but I just wanna say it. You know, you're no longer enjoying it or you're not growing in your faith and you, or you just need to see and meet some, some different people and that's perfectly legitimate. Every group has a life cycle and a purpose, whether it's for one year or whether it's for many years. But the problem is that we can sometimes be good at starting groups but not always good at ending groups well or changing and revitalising groups when they've served our need or they've become stagnant or they've become inwardly focused. So with that in mind and moving forward, we want to suggest that maybe a bit of a shift in culture when it comes to groups. And one of the things we want to recommend for groups to stay vitalized is that to be open every 18 months to two years to maybe be open to um, some change in your groups. Now, please hear me say that I'm not, we're not going to split up long-term groups, we don't want to do that. This is just a recommendation, it's not a directive. Um, But what you will hear us starting to talk about is the opportunity to open groups and close groups. So let me just explain what we mean from that. What that means is that at some point in the church calendar, probably once a year, we'll invite groups to consider opening up. And that means we would like you to consider to open up to accept new people in your group or it might be about releasing people from your group. And then once that's happened people have come in and people have gone out and you've resettled, well, then you would close that group for the next season and continue to build relationships with one another. And there's some really good and healthy reasons for doing this. It gives the opportunity for people to step out of a group or step into another group if they're looking for change or if they're in a different season of life. Like I said, there's nothing worse than feeling stuck in a group and you don't want to offend people because you don't want to leave or you don't know how to to leave well. It also gives the opportunity for others to experience what you've experienced in your group. And most importantly, it can add vitality to your group as you engage and you grow with different people and new people. And I get that we grow from deep, long-term relationships because I've benefited from that. Um, But we also grow by experiencing a variety of other people. Shortening the life cycle of a group allows for the freedom of not signing up for life, but rather for a reason or for a season. And maybe you just want to give a group a go for a while, but you don't want to feel like you've signed up for life. So here's a challenge for you. There are some groups in our church that have been together for a really long time. But I wonder if there might be groups who would be open to praying about what God would like them to do with their group so that others can experience what they've experienced. Are you holding your group experience for yourself or is there an opportunity or a new season where you might be open to sharing that with others or and especially for others exploring faith for the first time? Or maybe you have a growing awareness that you've got an ability to gather people. Um, Whether it's a life group or whether it's more of a social community group. And leadership might be a scary word, so you don't want to be a leader necessarily. Um, But you you could facilitate a group. And maybe God's whispering to you, why don't you have a go? Um, That might be a part of the next step of your faith journey. We're going to need leaders and facilitators of groups. And God has gifted some of you with that ability. So I want to encourage you to step out and step up um, and do that. And if you're in a group, I wonder if you've ever asked God personally, is this the group you still want me to be part of for for the growth of my journey? Am I growing in my group? Or do I need to take a step into something different? And this happened for Simon and I, I guess, about 18 months ago. We saw that there was a need in our church for a a young adult space, for gathering um, young adults together. And we both felt that God was starting to speak to us about this need. And so we talked to Josh and Jared, and um, that turned into starting a life group with Arno and Rachel uh, for young adults. And we handed the leadership of our life group at the time to others in our group who were very competent and willing, and so that freed ourselves up to start a new group. Now, we've actually stayed in our current group, Um, so now we do (laughs) two, we have two, Um, but our life group released us to step into leading in that new space, Um, and we love that space with those young adults who are doing the same thing, gathering around Bible, serving, care and socialising together. Or maybe your group might consider planting a new group and multiplying so that others can experience what you've experienced and so new new people to faith can be discipled. And I get this is challenging because we get comfortable in the groups we're in and we want to keep things the same. Um, But I think God has more for us than just feeling comfortable. I think God has an incredible journey of growth ahead of us if we're willing to step out of our comfort zones and this is summed up really well in the um, in the book of Acts um, which is the journey of what happened when Jesus um, trained his 12 disciples and then they became disciples who made disciples and started multiplying and and the church started to grow and God's kingdom started to be built. And Acts is the eyewitness account of the flame and the fire that spread across the earth and began with a small group of disciples that ended up changing the world. And the work hasn't finished because God continues that work um, with us and through us. And I just want to read these verses in Acts 2.24. Um And this is part of the excitement of what was happening in the early church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the needs to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour for all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wouldn't that be exciting if we saw that kind of multiplication? And that's the church and that's the power of life in groups. And I want you to invite you to consider joining a group. And Josh is going to give you some practical details around that in a minute. And if you're in a group, maybe it's time to do a bit of a stock take and start considering whether you might be open for a season to allow other people to come in and experience what you've experienced as a group. Let me just pray for us. Father God, we thank you for this um, life that you've given us. It's not a life living live, uh, a life to be lived as an individual, just in vertical relationship with you. It's a life to be lived in community with others, and I thank you that for many of us we've experienced this kind of community of being seen and known in a group. But this need is broader than just ourselves. There are many who who need the care and comfort and nurturing and growing of their faith in a group and so we just pray for those opportunities and help us to meet those opportunities in our church community so that we can see um, our faith multiplied and other people coming into relationship with you in jesus name amen